Welcome aboard! We will be your guides during this magical journey into the movies. It's the perfect job for us because we love the movies. It's showtime! Ready when you are, CB! Action! Welcome to Monorail Radio, episode number 103. I'm Sean. And I'm Jackie. And I'm not happy to be here. This is one of the few times I can actually say I'm not happy to be here today. We're not even discussing a Burton movie. (laughs) No, we are in our third week discussing the many incarnations of Robert Louis Stevenson's Treasure Island. And this week we are here to discuss 2002's Treasure Planet, a movie that I had not seen until since 2002 and i've i mean listen i've given away the goat at this point right so i will go so far as to say that i walked away from last week's viewing of muppet treasure island and i thought to myself you know it can't get much worse than this yes i would like to extend my congratulations to brian henson for not having the worst adaptation (laughs) Of Treasure Island. Usually we don't even like jump right into it uh, like this. We, we we will pontificate for nearly an hour before we give our final review. And, and I kind of don't care that we're just jumping into it and, and giving it away here because there's a reason why I hadn't watched this movie in nearly 20 years. And so, I don't know about you guys as the, as the listener, but I know sometimes you and I will revisit a movie that we haven't seen in a long time, whether it's for the show or otherwise. And we think, you know, I haven't seen this in a long time because I didn't really like it when I saw it X amount of years ago. And sometimes it's a matter of a movie being over your head because you were a kid. Or in the case of a movie like Tron, for example, which we haven't talked about on the show, but we will eventually. People didn't like it when it first came out because it was very much ahead of its time. Batman Returns, the same thing, very much ahead of its time. People really didn't love it. And years later... Either technology changes or the attitude of the movie-going audience changes, and, and the movie will eventually catch up with society. And I really hoped that that would be the case here. That's a great example, by the way. I had never seen this one, and as far as, you know, spoiling our review out of the gate here, I mean, I think our listeners, A, they know our taste. Yeah, as we've come to see over the last couple of weeks with some of the comments that we've been getting, our listeners really do know us and, and where we're going. Uh, but B, I think by my first couple of points here, there's not a lot of notes that I have that are very redeeming. So our listeners, we're going to figure this one out right away. Here's what I want to know. Who sat there and said, do you know what would make one of the greatest pieces of literature better if we put it in outer space? Answer. And this is very, very upsetting. Uh Uh-oh. John Musker and Ron Clements. As in (laughs) Musker and Clements of Great Mouse Detective and Little Mermaid and Hercules and Moana fame. Yeah, throw a dart at any of the really great Disney animated films and odds are their names are attached to it somewhere. This actually breaks my heart more than not being so fond of Muppet Treasure Island. But um, this was actually kicked around quite a long time at the Disney Studios. We had talked about when we reviewed Waking Sleeping Beauty that... 
uh, the company was in such dire straits at one point, they did like a gong show. Right. And anybody that worked for the company, whether you were, you know, low man on the totem pole or a big time executive, uh, you could make your pitch. So this has actually been a concept of theirs since about 1985. And it kept getting shut down and shut down and shut there down. There was a reason and with for good it. reason. And our boy Michael Eisner was the one who didn't think it was a good idea. Good call, Eisner. Yeah. As, as if I wasn't already enough of a fan. Like, he really knew his stuff. Uh, well, he had a lot of mistakes along <laughs> the way, too. But well, this was one he had right. But these two basically went over his head to Roy. And Roy greenlit it. And I don't understand why, because Roy valued so many of his uncle's really treasured films. And and Treasure Island was the first live action Disney film. And it's so good. It's so good. I'm surprised this is the one that he would have wanted to tackle. See, I'm not surprised that they tried to adapt it in this way, because... Look at what they're doing now. They're making a live action out of all our beloved classic animated films. So to do the reverse and do an animated version of Walt's first live one totally makes sense. What I don't understand is where the sci-fi element comes in. Um, I guess I can appreciate that they didn't give us like a straight, like when you think sci-fi, you think kind of that dystopian future. Right. Almost like a um, Ready Player One. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or a Hunger Games, which in the game itself isn't that like technologically advanced, but the world around them, like all, all of the people who are basically waging their bets on these 12 kids, the world that they live in is built out. So I can appreciate that we didn't have to deal with any of that stereotypical nonsense. But it's a pirate movie for crying out loud. It shouldn't be taking place in space. Pirates in space. (laughs) Because what's so strange about this, and we will actually start discussing the film in a minute here. Do we have to? I mean, I guess. Like, it's not like you took the concept of Treasure Island and combined it with bits of Star Wars. Okay, that would have... I could have understood that. I would have understood making a case for it. But you literally took sea vessels and put them in outer space. They're not even spacecraft. Exactly. If this... I, I would even be down for a version of this where they cast the actual characters from Star Wars into the roles. Like, I would totally take Darth Vader as Long John Silver any day over this. Because Vader, as he gets fleshed out in the second and third of the original trilogy, he starts to really unpack himself as a very complex character and and very conflicted, very much like Long John Silver. So... Yeah, there's a parallel there. My guess is, why did they set it in space? Why the sci-fi element? Because Disney, we've talked about it before, had such an identity crisis after the Disney Renaissance where 
they were viewed as making movies for little girls. They lacked subtlety. It was all princess pink and this and that. So how do you break that? Not subtly. Let's put pirates in space. Little boys love space and they love pirates. So let's just do it. Not tactful at all. Honestly, I think this story could work as a space odyssey. I think it could. I wish at this point they would have just departed from the pirates altogether. And the movie gets started off really well because you have Tony J as the narrator. Frollo is narrating the story. And you're off to a good start, but oh, and what the hell is this? Because the CG... The animation, it's so bad. And and it's not until a few moments later that you realize that Jim Hawkins is reading a storybook that also projects images. But when you don't know that that's going to happen, this animation looks really out of place. And, And for 2002, it looks really bad. So, like immediately I'm taken out of it and then you go, oh, wait a minute, it's a storybook. But it still doesn't look great. See, I didn't hate that they introduced the idea of the storybook because I had said it last week. I like that we saw the mutiny play out on Muppet Treasure Island instead of just hearing the tale passed down and passed down. Um, So I feel like for this version, because they did, again, take Jim's father out of it, here... He left. He didn't pass away. So I like that they set this up as the little boy who wants more out of life, similar to Muppet Treasure Island. Um, But here, I think they kind of did it a little better because they make him all about the adventure. And he doesn't want to go to sleep because he he wants to finish reading the book. So I think that that sort of worked. But what I wish that they had done, instead of making it this, like, technologically advanced book and I don't know if this was a stylistic choice for the sake of the film that we're watching or if it's supposed to be like okay things are set in the future now so the the storybook pops up 3D and plays out like a film so that was a little confusing and I wish what they would have done instead was just make the pictures in the book move almost like an old movie yeah Kind of like what they do with Harry Potter. Like anytime you see a picture in a newspaper, it moves or a picture in the wall. If they had done something like that, but they had left it in the 1700s and made the story of the pirates true to pirates and kept it in that era and then show us the time jump that this legend even years in the future is still being passed down. And I think that that also would have addressed another big issue that I had, which is combining this colonial era with outer space. Because we have no idea what year it is. All we know is that there's a 12 year time jump, but we have no idea what year it is. But the Benbow looks like a tavern. Right. Like Fozzywigs. Yes. And we're floating in space. Yeah. So I agree with you. I like Jim's setup. I thought it was more similar to the novel where he daydreams of being out on the sea and he daydreams of adventure and then he's on a hoverboard. So it really is so incredibly distracting. 
most of this movie, let me just say, I have no idea what I'm watching. I have no idea. I mean, like, I know I'm watching a version of Treasure Island in space. But I don't really know what it is that I'm watching. No, but that's a great point. Because if you've never read the book or seen any other version of this film, I think you'd be completely lost. Yeah. Honestly, I was watching this with the book in my mind and trying to figure out those major plot points because, I mean, obviously it's so vastly different, but they strayed so far. The character relationships are all different. So, like, I was glad that I at least had that to ground myself in the story. Character relationships are different. Some of the names are different. The Admiral Benbow is now the Benbow Inn. If that was the most egregious thing this movie did, then it would be fantastic. Because it actually looks accurate. It looks like the Admiral Benbow that you have in your mind when you read the novel. I think it's more accurate to the Benbow than even Walt Disney's version was. Because we we touched on it last week that Muppet Treasure Island was getting a little closer to what we had in mind. I think this hits it. I think this hits it, but you have all of these anthropomorphic or uh, you know uh or anthropomorphic animals and and these aliens and these bizarre creatures eating all of this strange food all of these made up names i mean i get it, it it's supposed to be a space odyssey but i i want to know again who thought that this should go into space and where it really differs from something like star wars is that and, and this bothered me throughout and we'll talk a little bit more about it when we get to you know, the animation, not one of these characters looks like they're of the same species. Yes. Which drives me crazy with anything. So aside from the fact that like now we're lost as to what the time period is, there's nothing that can even clue us in as to why, like, are, are you telling me that humans have evolved into these monster looking things? Are you telling me that aliens have taken over earth? Are we even on earth? No, we're not on there's, earth. There's nothing that clues you in to the setting beyond the Benbow. And Jim and his mother are the only two human beings. Everyone else is either an animal or a creature or what have you. Right. And how can Jim fly? Like we when we meet him again after the time jump, like you said, he's on the hoverboard, which I actually thought was a cool sequence. And I kind of like that we were reintroduced to his character that way. We see he's a little daring because he goes through the um, the wheel when it's turning. You know, he's got kind of a narrow escape. Um, But I don't like that he's brought back as this troublemaker. Pouty Jim. He completely dissolves into emo kid throughout the rest of the course of this film. And yeah. it, it makes me nuts. I of, hate it. Of all of the gyms in the three movies we've talked about, this the one, worst. he's by far the least endearing, which is a shame because it's Joseph Gordon-Levitt. Let me just say right now, I feel bad for this cast because yeah. I think the cast is great. And I think the cast, for what they were asked to do, did a great job because it is a star-studded cast. They were just given a really poor movie to execute. I love JGL and I love him in this. I I love the casting choice, but I mean, he did what was asked of him. This is through no fault of his own. Yeah, him, David Hyde Pierce, Brian Murray. 
I love David. Laurie I- Metcalf. They all yeah, just do what's yeah. asked of them. A- Emma Thompson, same thing. They do what's asked of them. It was they were asked to do this. No, and it's not their fault that they made changes to the story like this. I do oh love. God. We have. N- I don't think we've ever jumped into ripping a movie apart so badly. Other no. than maybe the Black Cauldron. I think this. But we had we had Pat here, and we were really feeding off of him too. So this is the first time you and I have really jumped into just destroying a film. Well. That's the thing. I mean, Black Cauldron, you kind of it kind of has it coming and everybody knows that's like the Disney movie that's not spoke of because right. it's not great. This one, I think it has like a 69% on Rotten Tomatoes actually. Yeah, I don't know so how. So there are people that like it and please if you're out there Tell us, us what we are missing. Yeah, Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Monorail Radio. But go ahead. I'm sorry. I jumped in on something you were about to say. No, all good. Um, we were talking about the cast. I love David Hyde Pierce in everything that he's ever done. Um, so I was happy to hear him in this. But I don't like that you merged two major characters how to you, get his. Yeah, Livesley and Trelawney. How do you do it? And now you have this Dr. Doppler. Not to mention... The two of them, they're like a comedic duo, right? Because Trulani is kind of the goof. He's the comedic foil. He's the money. That's why they're there. So you're animating it. Why would you cut out the silly character in an animation? Well, because they tried to make Doppler silly and clumsy. They tried to take everything from Muppet Treasure Island that Fozzie did that was bad and make it good by animating it into this dog thing that's voiced by David Hyde Pierce. And it's a total miss. Do I think he's better than Fozzie's Trelawney? Yeah, but that's not really saying a lot. Yeah, I mean, what he has working in his favor is that he's not talking to his finger. And that's about it. That's about as far as that goes. Billy Bones is here, and he's dead. <laughs> because you th- again, a major character, a major, major character, and he basically crashes his ship outside of the Benbow, says, "Beware the cyborg," gives his chest away, and dies. That's it. That that is that is Billy Bones in this entire thing. You're losing a lot of Jim's character development by doing that. Yeah. And eliminating that entire relationship. Yeah. I have a note, and it's the third time that I've written this. Who thought out loud, do you know what would make Treasure Island better? This is like setting the Wizard of Oz in Chernobyl. That I actually (laughs) took the time to write this down, so I felt the need to say it. Now, when you get to the ship itself, I I can appreciate the idea that they called it the... RLS Legacy because Robert Louis Stevenson Legacy. Okay, I get that. It's the Hispaniola. It's not the Legacy, it's the Hispaniola. That's a big miss for me. I know that, and there are some people that think that we are, we are trying to be highbrow on a pedestal, but no. Hear us out on this. You, you've taken one of the greatest pieces of literature, okay, and this is what you have done with it. There were just certain things about Treasure Island that you don't change. This is a big, big piece of it. It's like even The Great Gatsby, right? How many times has that been remade and 
it you know it's been adapted to tv to film to the stage whatever even Baz Luhrmann's garbage remake of it didn't leave anything out it hit on all the major plot points it didn't leave out any of the characters there are certain things when you're adapting a classic that should remain sacred and the Hispaniola should have been one of them agreed just like I don't think there is room for flatula oh my god which is a language spoken through flatulence. Do, do I have to say anything else? That was incredibly disappointing that I understand you're trying to do something to appeal to kids, but you went with toilet humor, really? Well, because little boys don't like princesses, but they like toilet humor. <laughs> the, honestly, I, I really do believe that there was a time that Disney really didn't know what to do about the male audience, and this is what they thought to do. Post-Renaissance. But regardless, you're telling me that the solution to being the anti-princess movie is toilet humor. In space. With pirates. Apparently. There is also no more Captain Smollett. We now have Captain Amelia. I suppose that's a nod to Amelia Earhart, I guess. I guess. I do like the gender swap, actually. She um, works. Especially, yeah, because they made her very sarcastic uh, and very take charge. And I love Emma Thompson as the voice. Yeah, I think she works completely. I'd go so far as to say she's probably the best part of the movie. I agree, because the character that I really wanted to be the best part of this movie is Long John Silver. And I don't know that I can get behind any of the choices that they made here. The cyborg thing sort of works as a solution to a wooden leg because technology has come farther, but it works for the leg, not for the overall aesthetic. I don't know why he needs this metal piece of his head um, he, he's got a metal hand that like has all these gadgets. He looks like Inspector Gadget. Meets Edward Scissorhands. Yeah, basically. And he's also half dog, I think. Like I not the same is. kind of a dog as um, Dilbert, but more of like a bulldog. He should have been Pete, honestly. I would have been fine if he was Pete. Uh, no, that would have been a total train wreck. Um because you're not introducing Disney characters into this. It's not Mickey Mouse. So I think that would have been a, t a total disaster, though not as bad as him being a cyborg with a shapeshifter instead of a parrot. And then the shame of this is that Brian Murray does a really good job as Long John Silver voicing the character. Yes. But every decision they make after that is for garbage. I, I don't love the relationship that he and Jim have together because... At nauseum, I repeat myself, he was such an interesting character because you were conflicted mm -hmm. with him. You didn't know whether to trust him. You didn't know whether to like him. You didn't know if he was lying or if he was telling the truth. And it added this level of complexity that is now completely non-existent. You're absolutely right. And the way that they set it up, they both dislike each other. I think that also has to do, we didn't get to talk about this yet, is that this is the oldest we've ever seen Jim portrayed. So you lose the coming of age 
And I think that's also what makes him seem more angsty because he's already, he's a young man. He's not a boy. So he's very much set in his ways. And now when they come together, he's not really in awe of Long John Silver. They just start to butt heads immediately because neither of them want to be in this situation. And then when they start to come around to each other, it's sort of like this father-son relationship develops more of like a I'm appreciating what I never had instead of a mutual respect. Yeah. You lose the entire meat and potatoes of the story. Yep. But you know what's supposed to fix that? A montage. A good old montage. Oh. It works, but it doesn't. Here's the thing. I don't like montages that like if you want to use a montage to show a passive of t- a passage of time, you see it in sports movies all of the time. The training montage, right? Oh, I love oh, a good the, training don't montage. Don't you love a training montage? In Karate this, Kid, Mighty Ducks, yeah. yeah bring it. Rocky, love it. Miracle, all of that. But in this case, they do a montage to flesh out backstory. And it like it works in accomplishing its goal, but it doesn't really work as a filmmaking technique. No, and what's so disjointed is that they're using a song with lyrics. Like, it's not scored. You have, and you know I love this, an outsider singing, and none of the characters are on screen none of it works. I mean, I think I'm predisposed to like the song because Johnny Resnick of the Goo Goo Dolls wrote and sang it for the film. But again, like how? How did this come together? I know the Goo Goo Dolls were really hot at that point, but why? I don't know. I mean, I like it better than having Long John Silver or Jim bust out into song because this (laughs) movie isn't a musical. But it, it's just a very strange thing, and it's it's in a very strange place, and it does not make any sort of sense. I think what bothers me most is that it's the only time that it happens. Yes. So it's not even, you, you tried to bring the musical element into it, but you only did it once, so it's like completely unmotivated. I mean, I, I do definitely agree with you that Tim Curry is the only way that you can make Long John Silver having a musical number work. Yeah. As are the Muppets. But here, yeah, you definitely shouldn't give me the exposition of the backstory in a montage. Th- this That's whole, also cutting against present time, mind you. The whole thing just should have been cut. Yeah. And this could have played over the credits and and it would have been fine. You know what else could have and should have been cut? Waves in space. Waves in space. Yeah, when they go into that like Milky Way looking thing and somehow there's water. A black hole. It's supposed to be a black hole. And you're getting hit with waves. Waves in space. You're not in the sea. You made that clear when you put us in space. <laughs> no, and they if you wanted that, you have it in the next scene with the supernova, how they use a wave or, or a Subs- substantial object yes. to move the ship other than just 
having it fly through space. I have the second note here that says, I'm not sure what I'm watching. <laughs> There's also a line after uh, Mr. Arrow dies because we have Mr. Arrow and he's lost because the character that's supposed to be Israel Hands and they give him another name who admittedly, I forget, I forget the character's name off the top of my head. I'll look it up. Was it Spider? It might have been. I don't know. He looks like a, like a spider, a crab, scorpion thing, hybrid, whatever it is. Yeah. It, it just here's the thing. When you take the place of an Israel Hands who has such a huge purpose in Treasure Island, and I cannot remember the name of the character that replaced him. It just goes to show how totally worthless he is. He cuts the lifeline off of Mr. Arrow, who then gets sucked into the black hole. See, I like that they had him kill Arrow, but what I don't like, and you knew where it was going, was that Jim was going to get blamed for it. Because right. then Long John Silver sort of bails him out and has to like build him up again. Right. That's where the tension really starts and the rift between them starts. Here's where it gets really lazy, though. When Captain Amelia is giving the eulogy for Mr. Arrow, mm -hmm. she called him a great spacer. Spacers are little pieces of plastic that you put between, like, floor tiles. <laughs> this just seems like very lazy language. Not an explorer. You could be an explorer. Or even in space, you still do use captain, lieutenant... Yeah, a navigator. pilot, a navigator. Now I'm just on mission space, but... Yeah, yeah. But but it would have worked. It would have made sense. It he's have. not the captain. She's the captain. But he could have been any of the... Navigator. No, I'll go with navigator. No, he's a spacer. He's a spacer. That's really no way to honor the dead. No! And it seems like something like, like a five-year-old, like Andy in Toy Story, playing with his toys, would have said Buzz Lightyear, even though he's a space ranger, that he could have come up with the name Spacer. It just seems so juvenile, like you didn't have another word for it. Oh my God. That would have been an infinitely better adaptation, is cast Toy Story as Treasure Island. It also would have addressed the egregious... Toy Story 4. This would have solved all of our problems. Or if you're going to make this story, just make Treasure Island. Um, before, do we have anything? Do you have anything else before we move on in the story here? Like when they meet Ben? Do you have anything before that that you want to throw in before we talk about Ben? No, Ben was my next Okay, thing. so Ben Gurr, the marooned, psychotic sailor who was left by Flint and left by Long John Silver is now voiced by Martin Short. Love Martin Short. Miss him in Canada Pavilion. As Ben, a bioelectronic navigator. So Ben is an acronym for bioelectronic navigator. Let's talk again about sciency language. What the hell is bioelectronic? But Bi the definition of bio is life, as in life or living, living electronic navigator. Well, if I mean, if he's if he's a machine, 
I'm so, he, he's not Johnny Five. If he's if he's a machine, he's not alive. So he's not. But 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 I bio electronic. It sounds sciency. It sounds like Star Wars. Let's roll with it, boys. That's exactly what it was. And I mean, they probably didn't think that anybody was going to read into it and dissect it that much. And this was 18 years ago. And hi, we're Monoreal Radio. Here we are now. Yes. We, we will question <laughs> everything. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, the first time we watched this, I didn't think changing the character to a robot, especially now that we've gotten to a planet that sort of looks like the beachy jungle that you expect. Right. I was hoping to see a person, an actual person, maybe the only other person besides Jim and his mother. Yeah, another human. That's been marooned. So upon first viewing, I didn't think he worked at all. I think in this version of the story, it actually does because they do bring it full circle with the piece of him that's missing. It makes sense, but the character in general just gives me anxiety because yes. he is your typical foil for everything. How many times does he need to be told to be quiet and he's constantly screaming? How many times does he need to be told, keep it down, and he does something to get them caught? It's just one thing after another after another. And what really annoys me about it is that he's a robot. He's going to clank around anyway, so... He's going to give up your position. The fact that he's constantly talking and screaming, it it falls flat because you lose the comedy of it just by nature of making him a robot. I know. And, and then there's just like the jokes that don't need to be in there. Of course, you get the we're going to need a bigger boat. Ugh. Of course you do. And then you get Doppler. For God's sakes, Jim, I'm a doctor. Nada, because, you know, McCoy used to say it in Star Trek all the time. So, like, of course you had to get the Star Trek joke in there, too. Like, just so much, I just feel like so much sloppy screenwriting. Which, it, it, it hurts to say, but you're right. It's painful. It's absolutely painful. It's almost as painful as how they continue to take Jim and just strip him down. Strip him down and strip him down and strip him down. Because rather than he and Silver working together, because remember, Silver basically he, he, he double crosses his own crew to save his own skin, and they believe that he, you know, he he's giving up control and he and Jim now become prisoners as they get you to Flint's treasure. In this case, Jim forces himself to treasure planet because they just want him to give up the map. And he says, I'm not going to give up the map. You need me to go with you. That's the other thing. You leave the map behind and nobody realizes it's gone. Aside from a major plot point, that's so weak. It may do an okay job, maybe, of trying to develop an already unlikable Jim, but I don't think it does much for him. And I think it, it does more harm than good for Silver. 
because again, you lose the complexity that is Silver and the relationship that he has with Jim, and you lose the do I or don't I trust him element. Right, and the the pirate and a good man. Right. The worst of it to me is their goodbye. There are tears. I don't ever want to see a pirate crying. That's the least piratey thing that you can do. Especially when you're a cyborg. Yeah, and they hug each other and it's this huge emotional goodbye. Yeah. No, it completely bastardizes the story. It does. And it's one of many things. Like, for example, they use the map as a portal because apparently this is how Flint was able to steal the treasure from a thousand worlds because he had this portal and he's going from world to world from world and he's jumping galaxies. As they're trying to escape Treasure Planet, which was booby-trapped by Flint and is now melting and disintegrating around them, why didn't they just select Treasure Planet when they were trying to jump out? Instead, they're just pushing on random planets trying to figure out how to get away they don't select the place that they're trying to go. None of this makes any sort of sense. Yeah, I, I do like that the map sort of worked as like a lock and key, but I hated the portal. Oh, wait, no, I'm sorry. It's not when they're escaping. It's when they're trying to find Treasure Planet. I know what you meant. Yeah, I wanted to clarify. Why don't we? Why aren't we selecting the thing that we're trying to find? Why do we select everything else before we select the one thing we're trying to find to open the portal to get there? Right. And nothing is more exciting than a treasure hunt film that ends without any treasure being actually taken. <laughs> There's a little bit of it. But again, you know, it's they, they, so they have their teary goodbye. And OK, Long John Silver, we, we do get the answer to Pirate and Good Man because he gives Jim Morph, um, which I like that they addressed because Muppets never did. Um when they pass on Flint the parrot. Right. Um, so I, I like that we see that here. But he gives Jim a little bit, or what, what I can assume is a little bit of the treasure. We know that he walked away with something. We don't know how much. And he says, give this to your dear mother. So how much of a good guy are you? Did you give him half? Did you give him everything? I doubt it. I think he just gave him enough. I would have liked to see what was there and what he took out for Jim. Well, it's enough for them to rebuild the Benbow, which then turns into Fezziwigs or <laughs> Fozziwigs, if you're comparing it to the Muppet Christmas Carol, because we're all dancing. We're all dancing and we're having a grand old time. And, and, it's, and now uh, the captain and the doctor, they've fallen in love and now have a family of children of cats Cat and dogs. dogs living together. Mass hysteria. <laughs> I do like that they brought Ben back, though. And now he's working in the kitchen as a chef. And serving cake. He's doing a little bit of everything. Before we talk about the animation, do you have anything else on the story here? Nope. Okay, I let's... I think you're being very generous calling it a story. Uh, yeah. So, this animation... Uh, Yikes. It reminds me so much of the Black Cauldron because I, 
when they were when they had the storybook come out in 3D and it looked really bad, I sort of forgave it as well. This is a book that came to life. However, the 2D and 3D that they tried to incorporate layering it on top of each other just seems completely out of place. You know, like when it was really clear that they used computer animation in the Black Cauldron, that's almost this entire movie that came out almost 20 years after the Black Cauldron did. No, and what's really disappointing is that when you think about how it was incorporated into something like Aladdin, where they used the computer for the magic carpet because it would have been near impossible to keep recreating that pattern frame by frame. And when he's escaping the Cave of Wonders, you get the glint of the gold and you get the lava. So to see how perfectly it was done there and how badly it was done now almost 10 years later, it it just doesn't make any sense. And this also came after Toy Story, after Bugs Life. Yeah. Like when you had full CG movies that had been made. Well, this this was about 4 years of production, so I will give it that. I'm not I'm not going to hold it to 2002 standards, but I mean we still had the technology. It was post Toy Story. Yeah. And you mix it with at times like it sounds like a Hanna-Barbera soundboard. There's so much it's just so much wrong. There's so much wrong with this animation. I think as they were going through it, although it still doesn't address the colonial thing, they had like a 70-30 rule for the visuals. So they wanted 70% of it to feel real and 30% to feel sci-fi. Although <laughs> I think they ended what? up with the reverse of that. But... If you made a sci-fi movie, shouldn't the entire movie feel like a sci-fi movie, not just a third of it? Right. But they also did it with the sound. They applied that 70-30 rule and they wanted 70% nat sound and 30% what had to be made up. Oh, boy. What's also really upsetting is that um, when they were trying to make this seamless blend of 2D and 3D, they used a lot of the maquettes to because they wanted the camera movement uh-huh. uh they wanted it to be you know like a like a Spielberg or a James Cameron or something uh-huh. where there's a lot of motion instead of just putting the character in front of the camera they wanted it to be able to move so you had to get that three-dimensional element you had to know what the character was going to look like on all sides so i read that what they did to make sure that long john silver was going to work was that they used a maquette of captain hook with the cyborg arm to test it and see how the 2d was going to fare with all the computer and camera movements it could you sink your head any deeper into your shoulders right now i'm just curious (laughs) Because nobody's seeing what I'm seeing. It's like you are, tr- it's like a, I'm turtle, a frightened turtle. turtle trying to go into its shell and hide. I, I, I don't, I don't have words. Because I'm upset. I'm really upset. I don't have the words for that. I, I get it. I understand the concept of that. 
But I like how many how many beautiful things can you put into this horrendous thing? Captain Hook, Treasure Island. How many how many beloved things can can you throw into this blender? I like vanilla ice cream. I like Nathan's hot dogs. I'm not going to blend them together and make a milkshake, and that's exactly what this is. No, I'm not saying that they were trying to incorporate Captain Hook into this. I'm just saying I don't like that they use such a classic... That's what I'm saying. ...a, a beloved character to test out uh, yes. this horrible theory. That's I'm that's the, I just made that same analogy. It's okay. I'm lost, too. We started talking about this before, but what also bothers me is that Everything looks different as far as the characters go. To me, we all know that Disney has their Christmas party, right? Where they do caricatures of each other. Yeah. This looks like everything that they had ever drawn at Christmas had been thrown together into the pot and put on film. There's no motivation for these characters. So I would have really liked to see... You know, if we're going to have to do this weird cyborg steampunk thing, I would have been okay if we sort of saw the humans evolving into a hybrid and almost becoming robots or like what they should have done with Ben. Um, Honestly, this is like everything that I don't like about Lilo and Stitch is that nothing the the, the animation is just not uniform. And I, I hate that there's such a hodgepodge here. So it didn't feel cohesive, and at times it didn't even feel complete. Like when the ship takes off, when they first launch the legacy RSL legacy, um, you know, they have their what looks like a colonial village stacked on top of itself to form the seaport. Um, oh, it's the starport. The or the, no, sorry, the spaceport. It's something spacey. I think it's the spaceport. But it doesn't look spacey. That's exactly the point that I'm trying to make. It's a blue background. It's f- not floating in space. It is floating in the sky. So it looks like you're missing a background. If we had seen a galaxy behind it or... If it was if it was dark and we saw all the star, that would have been a good twist. Make it nighttime when you're leaving, especially because the thing that they did do right is when they have the ship energized and it glows, it actually looks really pretty. Mm-hmm. So if they had just made this a nighttime scene, that would have popped even more, and it would have looked like your background was complete. Yeah. Um, I mean, I guess the last thing to make a mention of here before we. Before we give our final synopsis, <laughs> if you guys haven't figured out what that is yet already. Um, the music, yeah, okay, so we mentioned Johnny Resnick from Goo Goo Dolls had some songs in there. Um, but the score, the music was done by James Newton Howard. It's it's good. Like, it's, it's really good. I actually really liked it. it. It hooked me in the beginning, that the scene where we meet Jim as a young adult and he's space surfing or whatever you want to call it. Hoverboarding. Um, it sounded a little piratey, but I like that they bought in a little electric guitar. I think it was like a good melding of the world. Like a modern contemporary, not a sea shanty, but yeah, like it sounds like it, it had a really good adventure feel to it. It, exactly. it really set the tone for what should have been a really good movie. 
honestly, I would say the music is probably what I liked most about it. Interesting. As disjointed as a Google Doll song smack dab in the middle of a film is. Yeah. Uh, so what's, uh, I don't know, what's, what's your final synopsis? Final synopsis? It sucks. And I hate saying that because I never, ever want to come to this. John's laughing at me. Now I'm laughing. But I I never... Is that your professional opinion? <laughs> well, that's exactly it. It sucks. Ex- exactly. <laughs> I never want to come to this microphone and just out and out say it sucks and not give a good reason why but we have just spent almost an hour arguing why it's like you know when all right maybe maybe this is going to fall flat outside of the new york area but it's like when you meet a rangers fan and they tell you they don't like the islanders and you ask them why and it's like well they suck and they can't provide any backup for it i think i've done a very good job of providing the backup of why I not only dislike the movie based on personal taste, but of why it does not work. So that is my final synopsis. I have earned the right now to sit here and say it sucks. Yeah. Um, And that's because most Ranger fans don't watch if it's not the playoffs. So that's why they don't have an informed decision because most of them don't actually watch the sport. Um, But that's besides the point. And it's out there forever, and I'm not taking it back. Um, (laughs) So here's the thing with this movie. They certainly do a good job of inserting a lot of scenes and elements from the original story, and that much I'll give them. And that's about as good a thing as I can say, because for all of the other things that I mentioned, they, they bastardize so many of the characters. It's great that you put scenes in, but when you bastardize great characters... And you take something and set it in space for no reason. Look, you should have either made Treasure Island or nothing. This Treasure Island in space is a, it makes no sense. Please don't remake it. You completely wasted a phenomenal cast of people, and it is without question in the bottom, the bottom five of films that we have reviewed on this show. To me, This is down there with High School Musical 2. This is down there with The Black Cauldron. You know, in fact, I think I like The Black Cauldron more than I like this because I can at least say to you, first off, they tried and it was way too primitive and they were in over their heads. They have an excuse. But I can also say, and I have said for many, many years, since we have reviewed The Black Cauldron, the one thing that The Black Cauldron had going for it is a great villain. Nothing about this movie is any good other than the music and I kind and I like Captain Earhart. But I don't know, do I like Captain Earhart or do I like Emma Thompson? I think I just like Emma Thompson. Or did she stand out among a pile of garbage? But I think you hit it there. Black Cauldron at least you could see where they were trying to go with it and you saw all of the elements. Here they squandered classic literature and that's what makes it unforgivable so that's my final synopsis it sucks because you had the blueprint and you couldn't even be successful with a classic story under your belt yeah but we're interested in knowing your opinion of the most expensive traditional animated film ever made this made a hundred this this cost 140 million dollars and i don't know where any of that money went Uh, um, but you can let us know what you feel of this um movie and that's complimenting it quite a bit uh, by calling it such on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Monorail Radio. You can also email us, monorailradio at gmail.com. 
oh, we weren't kind to this at all. So we're going to take a quick break, and then we're coming back with News of the Week. Hey, guys. My name is Mike. I listen to Jackie and Sean's podcast every week on my commute into work. So I reached out to Jackie, and she helped me put together the perfect getaway. I did a four-night Disney cruise ship, and she was able to answer every question that I threw at her. She put together the perfect dates and an insurance plan that made the whole experience stress-free. She was able to help me with little tips and tricks, like you can get a Mickey Mouse bar delivered to you any time of the day. And I think that was a mistake, because now I put about 10, 15 pounds on. I'll definitely be using Jackie again in the future. Thanks for everything. So send me an email at j.zolezzi, that's Z-O-L-E-Z-Z-I, at MagicalVacationPlanner.com, and let's plan your Disney 50. Yes, it'll be a great time. News this week. It's a little Disney Plus news. Yeah, because when Disney Plus launched, we all kind of said the same thing. Like, yes, you want to see the classics there. No, not something like Treasure Planet, which is the only film actually that I've watched on here that I actually questioned if the $6 I spent was worth it or not. You always wanted like the off-the-wall bizarre titles that you hadn't seen in years, perhaps things that hadn't aired since their original air date. And, and we, ha- we have one. We have one this week that came out. It's called The Mouseketeers Go to Walt Disney World. It is from 1977. It is starring the new Mouseketeers, because I guess they were relaunching Mickey Mouse Club at the time. They've relaunched it a number of times. Here's what makes this show really something special. And I read about it today, and now I really can't wait to sit and watch it. It is the full, unedited, original airing, which means not only did they not cut the show up at all, they left the original television commercials from 1977 on the program. I hope, would there even be an advertisement for the parks at that point? Maybe. Maybe for for Magic Kingdom. Yeah, because Epcot was still under construction. They hadn't even opened it. I would love to see that, though. Was 1407 W Disney even a thing? Well, I guess we're going to have to watch and find out. But this is the stuff that, for me, gets you really excited for a streaming service like Disney+. Plus. Is this their solution to charging us $30 for Mulan? They're not charging us $30. I'm not paying $30 for Mulan, Mulan. but is this their their olive branch? I I certainly hope not. I want to see more content like this. I do, too. Honestly, you know what I'd love to see? If you go onto YouTube, you will constantly find people have uploaded, you know, because when they would open the parks, it would be a grand event and they would have a a, a huge uh, television program that celebrated a grand opening. Like, I think Danny Kay hosted the grand opening of um, of Epcot Center. Like, uh, that's the stuff I want to see go to Disney Plus. And I'm hoping that they're kind of using this as a test subject um, to see how well it does. And if it does well, I want to see more like this on Disney Plus. Definitely. Well, thank you guys so much for joining us this and every week on Monorail Radio. Don't Thanks for-, for sticking this one out. Yeah. Uh, thank you very much uh, for, like Jackie said, hanging with us here and, and listening to us complain. Because really, that's kind of just what we did this week. Although, albeit, the movie deserved it. But um, we want you guys, of course, uh, to hit that subscribe button on your podcast platform of choice. Um, you know we love interacting with you. We love hearing your reviews of the show. So please, if you can leave us a review on iTunes, that's always greatly appreciated. You can also do so on Facebook. Again, 
Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and TikTok at Monoreal Radio. You have uh, access to all of our episodes, plus our contact information and links to all of the social media on monorealradio.com. Again, thank you guys so much. We will be back. So, for Jackie, I'm Sean. Have a magical week, everyone. We'll see you next time. On behalf of Monoreal Radio, we'd like to thank you for joining us. We'll see you at the movies, the stuff dreams are made of.